I'm Russ Boris, and this is A Track. Our guest today is legendary singer, songwriter, musician, and member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Happy to welcome Elvis Costello to the show. Hello. Good to be here. How are you? Uh, it's great to have you here. Thank you so much, Elvis. Um, so we've got a, a really interesting thread of collaboration and songs and a lot of uh, recent work. Um, but the th song that we're starting out with is a Niccolo song, but it's not that one. It's not that one. It's not the one that people might come to expect, uh, Elvis and Niccolo. So tell me about True Strut. Yeah, I mean, what's so funny about Peace, Love and Understanding is actually from a year or two earlier than this song came out. This is a song that came out on little label in Holland. I think, I'm not sure it ever came out in England. It was an elusive track that Nick made sometime between the end of Lindsay Schwartz and the beginning of Stiff Records. So that would be right before my recording career. I'd known Nick since 1972. And when he turned up on a new label, I knew he'd been recording because I was always keeping an ear out for anything that his band was doing. This song came out in 76, uh, ahead of the foundation of Stiff Records. But you can tell it's in the same kind of spirit. And I thought it would be a lot of fun. We were in Memphis rehearsing for our tour last October. It's always good to play one of Nick's songs, so we played this one. And this is the recording from that room. So what took you so long to come back to that particular song? <laughs> we had to learn it. It's so complicated. Uh, I, I don't know. I just, it popped in my head and I found the single somewhere. Always good to learn one off a 45 record. That's what I'd done a lot of my life. And um, I just thought we'd have a ball. We were also, we hadn't played for six months, maybe longer, a year. I didn't know whether we'd remember how to play. We'd made the, all these records in the time we'd been off the road, or at least I had, and, and the band and I had made The Boy Named If in the later part of the summer of 2020. So we've waited a whole year to bring that record out, you know? Um, it's all been very strange, and a lot of people have been keeping up a constant connection with, uh, say, weekly, like Steve Naive did, you know? He kept the, in contact with people by playing these hour-long broadcasts from home, I did one or two things like that, but mostly I've been working right in. And so when it came to put the repertoire together to go back on the road, we also had Charlie Sexton in the band for the first time. So we were finding, we went to Memphis where we were opening up the tour and we went to this great studio called Memphis Magnetic. And we just played everything that we were learning. And it was, a, you know, because we hadn't played for a while, we would normally know how everything sounded. But having an extra player in the band, it was great to be in a recording studio because we could hear exactly what we were doing. We could go and listen to it. You know, we'd record all the rehearsals and then say, oh, yeah, we need to do something different on that little bit there, you know. And, and we got a few recordings out of it. You know, we, we, we did a bunch of alternate versions of the songs from the new record for radio stations so forth. Did we not send any to you? I don't think so. Well, we will. You owe us one. Well, you got this one now. Yeah. Like, you're the only people who got this one. Um, <laughs> this song just came in my head. I love it. You know, 
It's a thing we're we're all taking these days, the truth drug, you know. Well, you're not wrong there. Let's not even go there. <laughs> <laughs> is, is this a situation where you're sort of relearning how to do things again? You get back in the studio, you're sort of reinvigorated, but, you know, or is it just riding the bicycle? Whenever you take a little trip away doing something else, you come back and everything about the regular thing you do uh, seems brand new again. That's been my experience throughout my whole career. So when I've done these things that have alarmed people that like me to play rock and roll and only like me to play rock and roll, they should be happy that I went off and had a holiday doing something else because I always come back feeling that this this thing that I started with is has all these other possibilities that I might not have imagined if I just kept going. It could have just diminished in time, and it didn't. This particular time, I, it hadn't been so long since I'd made louder sound and noisy records, but certainly making them in the company of the imposters was great. By the time we'd waited a year since recording The Boy Named If, we couldn't wait to get in the room and play. You know, it was almost a year from the completion of the album to the first time we played any of The Boy Named If songs on stage. And we played six, seven of the songs from the album throughout the tour, and two or three from Hey Clockface, which we adapted for the imposters. So that's the way music works, you know. I mean, obviously, with uh, Davey Farragher having been our bass player for 20 years, we still play songs that were recorded with the attractions, but you hear them the way we hear them now. And it's not just a different bass player, we're all different. It might sound superficially the same. But from the inside, it doesn't feel that way because we're making all those little agreements. So I don't know about riding a bicycle because I can't ride a bicycle. <laughs> I never learn. So I wouldn't risk a surfboard, maybe. All right, fair enough. So it's like riding a surfboard. Yeah. Uh, you know. So the next song you have on here, this really speaks to you know how your career has gone in terms of collaborating and taking your music in a number of different directions. Here you're working with Vince Giordano and the Nighthawks on a song called I Surrender Dear. One of the reasons I wanted to put this on the list as well was because this was put together by an incredible musical supervised producer, composer, Randall Poster, whose name you'll see on a lot of great movies and television series. He had me do two songs for the short-lived satire about the record business. That's kind of like shooting fish in a barrel right there, isn't it? Um, called Vinyl. He did the arrangements for the new music found in Boardwalk Empire, which, of course, being set in the 20s, had a terrifically rich well of music to dip the bucket into. And they had me come in. I did a couple of tunes for that series. And this one, just listen to the arrangement, the imagination. It's like the score of some crazy cartoon. It changes about every eight bars into a different time signature. And I sing what they used to call the vocal refrain. You know, I don't even come in at the top of the song because they used to play the whole tune, I guess, get you used to the tune and then they let the singer at it, you know. We play the game of stairway, but it costs more than I can pay. Without you, I can make my way. I surrender dear. I think about how many inventive ideas came up the voices of the different members of the orchestra in such a short order of time and not kind of in a grandiose way. They weren't looking for you to be dazzled. And it's amazing virtuosity to play like that, not to mention just the way it's written, the tempo changes and everything. Those little mean things we were doing must have been part of the game. Lending a spice to the wound. Oh, but I don't care. 
Okay, so you're totally right on. There's like eight different songs going on there. <laughs> but it's the same song. Yeah. What's so amazing about it, it is actually, if you listen hard, it's the same motif. And I'm in the booth waiting for the cue to come in and sing my little refrain and then get out of the way, and the next thing happens. I surrender to you. you see what I mean about it? It sounded like you feel like you, you're in some mad cartoon. We sort of associate that with film music, and particularly cartoon music. And Raymond Scott, who wrote a lot of the themes you heard done, and the great Warner Brothers cartoon composer and arranger, Carl Stalin. If you listen to their music, it's all like arranged like this. My wife, you know, Diana Prowers, uh, she grew up with a father who had a huge stack of sheet music and wonderful 78 records. And you could think some of them were old and corny and then you'd start listening to them. And it's just like anything. If you, if you still yourself a little bit and get in the rhythm and think what came before it and what came after, you just have all these amazing surprises. They're a wonderful group, Vince. So dedicated to this music. I really enjoyed working with them on both occasions. You can go any Tuesday night, I believe it is still. I, I'll have to check this because things have changed so much, but check your listings. And if Vince Giordano and the Nighthawks are still playing in Manhattan, as they have for many years, they played in the Iguana Club for a while. They used to play down in the basement of the Edison. I mean, this is an amazing thing that you can do. You can go and hear your favorite rock and roll band. You can go and hear, go to the Village Vanguard. You can go to Birdland. You can go and hear some great jazz, but what you don't get to do very often is hear this music from the 1920s and 30s played with such fire and love you know he's got like he's got all original arrangements of these incredibly weird sounding songs and he's got the instruments to play it great players and i i do love to go see that band yeah they're an institution for sure you know, inspiration for you obviously comes in a number of different circles. And I'm curious how, you know, some newer artists influence, you know, where you may go. For instance, you know, you chose Nicole Atkins and a song by her for your next pick. So you can talk a little bit about Promised Land and why that was a pick. Well, here's two, two reasons. One is that Nicole, who's a tremendous singer and really great songwriter, I loved her record, Italian Ice. I could hear the the line drawn from a great classic form of songwriting going right back to the 1950s and 60s right up to the present day and everything in between she's done a lot of interesting things made some beautiful records that I only latterly discovered and I love that Italian Ice record so much we discussed maybe that she might sing on My Most Beautiful Mistake which is one of the tracks on The Boy Named If then she told me she was going to uh, Memphis to reinterpret the songs from our last record and I think this is another thing that has happened from the time we've all been away from the stage. You could make new records, but you also got a chance to explore some other kind of ways to look at the music you already had composed. And you wouldn't ordinarily think that you would follow a record with another rendition of the same songs. 
But if they're a completely different mind, it's worthwhile, isn't it? If you were working and traveling hither and thither as we usually are, maybe you wouldn't have taken the time to do this. So it was our good fortune that Nicole went to a studio. She lives in Nashville, but she recorded in a studio in Memphis, and that studio was Memphis Magnetic. That's how we heard about what a good room that was to cut in. In a cab in New York City East of Chinatown I came by to hear you singing Most of the record is a reinterpretation of the songs from Italian Ice performed now with just a pianist and two string players. So very bare, but listen to singing, and this is a song I think that predates that album that she recorded for this particular project. So this is one of the songs you can only hear on Memphis Ice. What a beautiful sounding recording that is. A lot of people, if you think about doing a record with strings, you're immediately imagining it's gonna be like a big body of strings. That's just two players. It's very ingeniously arranged and the piano playing is beautiful and also the use of the room. The recording is really good, but most of all, it centers on the singer. Broke down from where we stand And I see trouble in the promised land I see pain and I see hurt And what's it really worth? Darling, don't you understand? You can't drag my heart to the promised land Can't drag my heart You can't drag my heart So as Nicole Atkins is reinterpreting herself, you had done something very similar uh, with the songs from Hey Clockface that you had done in French. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly, that's a good segue. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what comes to mind when you hear Nicole. Yeah, you're right to say we did have this opportunity over this last little while to make some dreams come true that I'd had for a while, you know? One of them was that um, I would, first of all, go to Paris and record, which I did with Steve Nye for the Hey Clockface record, and work with Parisian musicians as well as Steve. I guess he almost counts as a Parisian. He has a French passport now as well as his British one. So there you go. It it's gradually becoming French. Um, that was very wonderful to do. It was a big contrast to the music that I had cut a few days earlier in Helsinki. So those two ideas sort of collided in the recording we're going to play now because this was actually the special request of the French record company, harking back to the days when artists would sometimes be asked to record their songs in the home language, you know, to address the audience of that country. So I put a little spin on that. We did enlist a couple of actual francophones. I almost wanted to play one of the tracks by Isabella Jeanne, but given that we were coming off a a beautiful ballad like uh, Promised Land. I thought we should pick it up a little bit. This is uh, Iggy Pop and myself from uh, La Fasse de Pendula. Oh, you got to say that a second time. No, no, that's the one time you only get French from me occasionally. Uh, oh. is, uh, La Fasse de Pendule à Coucou. No flag, parlez. Pas de religion, pas de philosophie. 
des idées, des mondes arcadés, mais pas d'ici. I mean, how Iggy, why Iggy? Like, it works so well, but like, tell, tell me that story. I've known Iggy since the first night I ever set foot in America. He happened to be playing the club I was playing a couple of nights later, and I get off a plane from London and I look in the paper and guess what? Iggy Pop is playing in the club at the old Waldorf in San Francisco. So I get to the club after like a whole adventure earlier in the evening that I won't even go into, and I see him play with the Sales Brothers, the Lust for Life record, which was what the record that was out in 77 just come out. But the effect of seeing him that first night, I always associate America with Iggy because of that. If that was your first American show you ever saw in a little club, it was no wonder. And, you know, we've seen each other when he lived in New York. I spent that afternoon with him. We'd be in a dockyard in Tokyo on the same bill, or we'd be in Belgium on a festival, you know. I got on a plane one day, I found myself sitting next to him on a flight across the country. We weren't the sort of friends that were, you know, I wouldn't presume in that way. Curiously enough, it was my wife, uh, Diana, went to record with Iggy in Miami last uh, early 2020. He'd been invited to do a song with a French artist called Thomas Dutronc. So we, here we go to the French of the old songs, uh, C'est C'est Bon. Yeah, see? You see, I'm speaking that French again. And uh, so Diana went over all the way to Miami to cut this vocal and sent me this picture of her and uh, and Thomas and Iggy outside. And, and I have to be honest, with all due respect to Thomas, he looked like he might have been some guy walking by. Diana and Iggy looked like they were in a band together because they both have like blonde straight hair, sunglasses. Anyway, she had his number from that and uh, this request to do the song in French. I thought there were lots of French artists I could approach and I did approach a bunch of French artists or French speaking people who did end up contributing to this EP we made. But we cut two versions of No Flag. One which was more or less a straight rock and roll version with Iggy singing in French. And this version, which was more broken down, you know, the rhythm has changed, the rhythm track is bearer. You know, that guitar part I'm playing, which seems like I think it comes from like below 8th Street, you know. Um, that's all in isolation and he's reciting it and he took it incredibly seriously. He didn't he didn't phone it in at all. He told me he practiced for weeks his French. As you know, he's recorded a couple of albums in French, but he isn't somebody who would announce that he speaks French, but he obviously does understand the language and all my French-speaking friends said, yeah, he sounds great in that language. The tone of his voice alone. Yeah, the richness of that voice, it's amazing. No flag. I just wanted to hear him say, no flag. That's all you want to hear because that's all the song is. It's like, let's not just be limited to that one idea, that one color, that one variety. That's what the song was sort of uh, saying. And the songs from uh, Hey Clockface, maybe because they were the first ones I recorded uh, or at least completed as we were supposed to be in isolation, have lent themselves to reinterpretation, both in these versions for the French EP and in the live rearranging with the imposters. 
I only ever wanted to be a songwriter. I never wanted to be in show business in the first place. So I'm quite happy when I get to be a songwriter for other people. That was my original intention, was not to have my face out front. It didn't work out that way. But you're always jumping around. You're always yeah. collaborating. You're always, you know, working with different artists and doing different things, such as the case with this song called Beer Blues. Um, some good things came out of a whole chain of events that began with, a, again, a request as a songwriter. David Simon, the man responsible for The Wire and Treme and The Deuce, The Deuce, as you call it, um, asked Sebastian and I to remix this year's Girl for the opening credits of a show about the sex industry in the 70s in New York City. The second series of transition from the early 70s, where they used Curtis Mayfield's of There's a Hell Below, We're All Gonna Go, to the late 70s, where they felt that my song, This Year's Girl, was appropriate. And uh, then we were requested to put a female voice in the second verse, which involved us remixing the track entirely. Having achieved that with Natalie Bergman singing that vocal, a great singer from California, I took a leap and decided that we should do the entire record in that way. We might remix this year's model, removing my voice and replacing a cast of Spanish-speaking artists. Now, Fito, the Argentine singer Fito Paez, who we're going to play a track by now, he took it another stage, having completed a wonderful version of Radio Radio, which we don't have time to play you now, but he flipped the whole story around and sang a whole new lyric over our attractions backing track. He then sent me this song, which imagines us going on a bar crawl through London and Rosario, which is strange because I don't drink. So presumably I'm only drinking water during this song, but... You're just hanging there. I'm just... I'm just Because, I mean, when you hear Fito, you'll know why you'd want to hang with him. He's a super wonderful, generous, very funny, very, very wonderful songwriter, recording artist. I can't say enough. Anyway, this is from his record Los Años Salvages, and my Spanish is worse than my French, as you hear. But he gives me the title in English here, Beer Blues. London <laughs> Town so, so tired Me fui directo al pub A beber unas pintas Con Elvis Pasamos esa noche Pegándole al piano En Covent Garden Improvisamos esta canción Letra y música del beer blues From the pride of London To the tender Argentina The only time I've ever played in Buenos Aires, uh, Fito invited us to his house. That was around the time that Pete Thomas had played on one of his records. I think that was the connection initially. We stumbled on from city to state of our own free will of the whim of fate Singing, give me one more round Another catch I have a thirst to quench For all the peace and mercy that I need to feel There's nothing more beautiful than we could steal 
you probably know, you know, in the years that I that I didn't work with Pete, which were not very many, he was a member of Squeeze for a while. He also played on a couple of Los Lobos records. You know, he's on Origin by Juanes. That's a record of uh, Spanish rock and roll records from Juanes's youth. Juanes sang Pump It Up on the Spanish model. So some of these artists have already, like, they're looking at the story of the music that got them to where they are now. Some of the artists that I've worked with, like Fito, have big careers. Uga Drexler, who did such a beautiful job on Night Rally. Uh, Vega, she did uh, Running Out of Angels, which was an acoustic demo, which she replicated for Spanish Model. I feel as if we've got opportunity now to move forward. It's not just about doing this record, which some people might have thought was a crazy gimmick to do, take this year's model and remix it with Spanish singers. La vida es así. Vas viajando y vas cambiando de tonos. And I roll and I murder like a bowling ball in the gutter. But rather to build on that and develop some friendships with artists who can sing in both languages the way Pito can. You didn't give yourself enough credit there in your Spanish. Well, I, he's singing you know, the Spanish verse, and then he left the space open for me to add the English. So we're in conversation between the two languages, which seems in the spirit of what we were doing. I sadly cannot sing very credibly in other languages. I have sung a little in French and one track with Vega in Italian, of all things. But let's move on, because here's one of the tracks from uh, Spanish Model, which is one of my favorites. It's the version of Chelsea by Raquel Sofia and Fuego. is it to hear your stuff kind of turned on its ear like that you know something that you wrote and, and completely reimagined i love this record as these, these versions came in they were done with such generosity and curiosity you gotta understand that there's no sentimentality about me or the attractions or you know having been sort of pop stars for five minutes in england or whatever else we've represented in, in American, North American music, a lot of people had literally never heard of me that contributed to this record, and they just related to the song and to the playing, which you have to say, the playing on this is pretty damn good. You know, the Pete Thomas's drumming, particularly in this mix. We're used to hearing the syncopated bass and keyboard, and then my guitar, but taking my voice out of the picture, which has such a lot of attitude, allows somebody like Raquel with a beautiful timbre to her voice to create these new sounds in relation to the rhythm. You know, the adaptation in this case really sits well. And then Fuego, of course, is bringing verses of his own invention in, in the breakdown, you know? Cara de moda, no vivo la vida a mi manera y ahora no quiero vida 
This is the only time that we ever kind of created any new music in that we just obviously created a little bed of drums there for him to work with. But Pete's playing is so tremendous. He would be the first to acknowledge that he was quoting Mitch Mitchell's fire part on Hendrix, which in turn was interpreted by Questlove when we cut My New Haunt for the Wise Up Go session. So this is all part of it. You know, if you look at it in the long story of music, you hear something that makes you excited and you do it. And with an unusual assignment like this, where we approach these artists, they came in with such a lot of heart it was interesting also people were prepared to move themselves away from what they were familiar with. Frankly, a lot of the younger artists on Spanish Model had never done a recording without auto-tune and a click track. There are no click tracks on Attractions records. <laughs> you know, they, I would think not. No. We just started and then whatever happened, happened. But that's good. You know, we, the, there's advantages to different ways of recording. Uh, Moving to the next song really kind of summarizes this process of the last couple of years. All of this recording from where we were has taught us a lot about what's possible. And the fact that we're even talking to one another in this way is part of it. And somebody who I have to give credit to for helping me complete what became the Hey Clockface record, which otherwise might have just been a collection of tracks that I puzzled out how to finish was Michael Leonard, a, a trumpet player, a composer, arranger, band leader from New York, who approached me to complete a couple of pieces of work that he had started on with uh, Bill Frizzell and Nels Klein. He sent me finished tracks and they became the songs um, Radio Is Everything and Newspaper Pain, which appeared on Hey Clock Face and also appear in the package of his album, um, The Norman Sessions. He then asked me to write words and sing uh, another piece that he had composed called Shut Him Down with verses by Jay Swiss. Two versions of that song exist. The one released, I believe, in late 2020-21, maybe, with Chris Potter on the bass clarinet, and this brand new version from the Norman Suites, the Michael Leonard Orchestra featuring Jay Swiss and Joshua Redman and myself. Can this thing evil fingerprint, that line of chalk, we do more than talk, I'm innocent, then walk away. Beyond the blade, the plow and stars are dreams in a day. Say something once, does it make it true to me, to you, or everyone we need? This song by Michael Leonard is a rhythm that he said he'd never heard me sing it. Shut him down, shut him down, did you run him through? A thousand times you didn't, a hundred times you do. So that in itself is great. You know, I've worked with the jazz passengers and done similar things where I've had to find my way around the rhythm, something different they're giving me. How am I going to use my voice? Am I going to try and hit it really hard? I'm going to try and get in and out of the rhythm. And I wrote this text. It happened to be really compatible with what Jesus is saying in his verses. world might be dark, but I'm in the right spirits. That voice of doubt don't got to listen, although you hear it one time. That don't make it true. A thousand times to make your mind up and make it through. Swiss. Dream to pale by the cunning and the cool, the camera and projector, the running up the room, looking at the tailpiece, the spinning love. 
It's also taking your hands away. I'm, I'm not in full control of the machine here. This is Michael's record, The Norman Sweets. He contributed to my record. This is my thanks to him. Shut him down. I'd been out, as I say, as a single track with Chris Potter's solo. Now we hear Joshua Redman flying over the end of it. But it's also listening to what he's playing in relation to all of Michael's orchestration, that, that uh, whole horn arrangement going on in the backgrounds is so imaginative. hearing your voice in in all these different arrangements in these different settings because you know your voice in the beginning there was a snarl to it and there was an attitude to it and then in different circumstances there's this delicate ache when you're doing something that's more in the jazz world so for you as a singer like how how does that evolution happen is it is it something that you're conscious about do you work at it does it just happen over time i i can think of examples where i'm singing using that timbre on very early recordings, really. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I'm not trying to be uh, wise after the event, but I mean, there's a certain attitude to a lot of those early recordings, which was one of the interesting things about revisiting this year's model was to hear what happened when an evidently more melodious singer, somebody with a more beautiful tone of voice, sang my tune. I was kind of surprised to hear that some of those songs even had tunes because there was so much attitude to my way of delivering the lyric. It wasn't always upmost in my mind what the melody was. Now, occasionally you get to go back to do a song, say, particularly in a solo performance, and you might discover there's a little more melody to work with here, and it can change the feeling to bring a little sadness into what the song is singing about rather than spitting it all out all the time. There's lots of examples on The Boy Named If, on some of the songs on Hey Clock Face, where I'm using all of those more percussive, more rhythmic delivery. There's examples of that uh, in the music of uh, The Delivery Man and Momofuku, but there are also, as you say, occasions where it would just be foolhardy to be singing with that kind of spitty you know aggressive delivery if the music was demanding something different last summer i recorded again with burt Backrack, whose songs i've been singing since 1977 equally 1978 i recorded my funny valentine which people thought was a very odd choice for me then but it's a song i'd known since i was a child and i thought there's a relationship between that kind of ballad singing and ballad writing and what I do, and it's come to be heard more overtly, whether it's in songs like Indoor Fireworks from King of America or Almost Blue from Imperial Bedroom. I've heard those songs performed by other people. The Birds Will Still Be Singing from the Juliet Letters has been recorded by lots of different people. Different types of singer around the world have actually performed that whole piece, which seems amazing to me. There are more recordings and performances of the Juliet letters than there are of Alison. That's amazing. You know, that is so, like, so you never can tell when you write something what is going to be the outcome. I mean, the record which took people by surprise. I mean, I have several. Almost Blue in, you know, 81, 82, and we went to Nashville. People weren't expecting me to sing those kind of country ballads. They were in my heart. Obviously, 
working with Burt Bacharach was very unusual for some people who knew me from rock and roll. But to me, it made complete sense because I'd loved the torrid nature of those romantic ballads and I wanted to write some such songs with him, which we did, and we continue to work together. This is an incredible gift to get to work with him again last summer, cut two new songs with full orchestra, which you'll hear in due course. So I, I'm I'm just delighted to be the, like I say, I go back to being the vocal refrain, like right up at the top of the show when we played I Surrendered Dear, a song from the 20s. I'm happy to be the vocal refrain in an orchestra. I like being in these little orchestras as much as I do like picking up the guitar. I thought this show should be maybe like explaining how I came to do some of these collaborative things. They're not just they're not just vanities or, or gimmicks. They're based on some real curiosity, appreciation for what those artists can do, what they have been kind enough to bring to an invitation that we made to them in return, sing with them on their records, write songs for them. And here's a song we're going to close out with this. This is a good way to close out because it summarizes a whole bunch of things that have happened in my life. I think in, I want to say, 1981, I went to Nashville for the second time. I'd already cut Stranger in the House with George Jones then, the year before, or two years before. I went to try out Studio B at Columbia as a recording venue for the attractions and myself. And we cut two songs on that little visit. Bobby Blue Bland's I'll Take Care of You and Hank Cochran's He's Got You, better known as She's Got You, cut by Patsy Cline and later Loretta Lynn. All these years later, I was asked to contribute to uh, a tribute to Hank Cochran living on a song and to sing one of Hank's later compositions, a really wonderful ballad, She'll Be Back. And I was gonna, once again, just be a guest vocalist on it for the second verse. The main theme is taken by a tremendous contemporary singer, Jamie Johnson. Don't feel sorry for me It's not like it seems Yeah, she left this morning Tonight I've got my dreams and memories She'll be back She'll be back That's a pretty tune, isn't it? Yeah, really beautiful vocal. That Jamie is a great singer. If she's anything That's a sort of classic Nashville arrangement as well. It's probably Pig Robbins or somebody playing on that. I don't know who's playing on those tracks, but it's really, I, I haven't heard that like coming like over this. It sounds different. You know, it sounds like it's coming off a radio. So yeah, that's lovely. I'd like to thank you for letting me play this weird selection of songs. It's been fun to try and think of eight songs that tell a little story. I hope people have enjoyed them. 
I hope to check out some of those other artists that uh, we've played. Elvis, thank you for the master class in a collaboration and musical invention. It has <laughs> been a great time. Thank you so much. All right. I best get going. Elvis Costello joining me on 8-Track and Jamie Johnson on a version of She'll Be Back. Next week, we'll be back to talk music and possibly food with guest DJ Ted Allen. 8-Track is engineered by Jim O'Hara and produced by Sarah Wardrop with theme music by Caroline Rose. Subscribe, listen, and learn more at 8trackpod.com. I'm Russ Boris for WFUV in New York.